Spread Great Ideas is meant to increase the signal in a world awash in noise. I'm your curator and host, Brian David Crane, and it is my quest to share the learnings of the world's most interesting people, the disruptors, the outliers, the libertines, and those who've been unconventionally successful so that we can become a little bit wiser together. Hello, friends. So today I am talking with a longtime friend of mine, Tom Kineshenko, who has a pretty impressive resume. He's an expert in cryptocurrency. He's the co-founder of a cryptocurrency hedge fund called Protos. Prior to that, he had also started a company in Canada um, to do cryptocurrency mining with hydroelectric power. Uh, he founded or co-founded uh, a company called Gridbid that was a marketplace for doing solar panel installs. He also co uh, founded a company that was dedicated to carbon emissions trading um, amongst different uh, nation states. So he's got a lot of experience in cryptocurrency and ICOs. He's been an investor since early 2012. And we get to jam today primarily about uh, crypto and also about the state of crypto in the sense of which jurisdictions are interesting, how Protos is different from what's out there currently, um, and how he sees asset allocation amongst crypto and fiat currencies um, in 2020 and, and beyond. So enjoy the show, and here's Tom and I. Cool. So thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're in Ubud together. Uh, Tom is getting ready to fly to... Switzerland to work with your business partners and also put on a conference around uh, investing in crypto. Is that right? Yeah. Proto Summit number two. Uh, 80 person invite only event at some fancy hotel and in Zurich. In Zurich. Yeah. And um, the, the, pre the whole point of the conference is 2020, world's getting crazy. Uh, what are the biggest threats to your crypto if you hold it? Because the people we work, our, our customers or clients at Protos have crypto, we have crypto. Um, what are the biggest threats to your crypto and what are the biggest opportunities uh, to grow it? Mm. And that's it. That's the day. And so the, the, the 60 people that are coming, they're ones who, they're managing crypto for other people or this is investors in Protos? This is some of our clients. So at a, at a, like at a fund, clients are called LPs, like limited partners. Yeah. Um, and or people that uh, that hold a large amount of crypto, and then we are bringing in a bunch of other people who are pr like have proven themselves over many years in crypto to earn returns in a in a, like a systematic way. Okay. So it's kind of like for me, the reason to do an event um, is to bring together a bunch of people and just kind of talk about this stuff in a bit of a no bullshit sort of way, like you know what actually works, what what data do we have to know what's going to happen in the year ahead. You know, a lot of people, for example, talk about how crypto isn't correlated to traditional assets, which is true. But during the last couple of years, well, A, we've never had a recession since the start of Bitcoin. And B, when there is little flash crashes in the equities markets, Bitcoin immediately correlates to the stock market. In terms of it goes up or goes down? Uh, it correlates and goes down. Okay. So just, to, just as like an example of uh, kind of how, how I'm thinking about crypto right now, it's like, you know, we're heading into a crazy year. Um, what I'm constantly thinking about for our clients and also for myself is um, 
what bad stuff could happen to my crypto. Yeah. What could cause it to go down? Yeah. And what are the opportunities um, to to earn good returns? And so when you say that 2020 is a crazy year, and when you think about some of the bad stuff that can happen to your crypto, you're talking about it like at a macro level. You're talking about the U.S. election, or are you talking about a recession, or what are you what are you referring to? You want to dive straight into uh, Tom Kanishenko crypto thesis? Or do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, that's a quick start. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, well, I think that uh, you have a, a macro environment where you see banks basically with a ton of money giving money out for extremely low interest rates. Um to questionable borrowers. To questionable borrowers. You've got um, US dollar dominating the world, and I believe it will totally continue to dominate the world. And so the US can put pressure on other countries to do things economically. You've got a generation of people like us who you know can be in Ubud recording a podcast. And like you have all these digital native people that wouldn't mind just transacting with each other without having to go to the, the smelly currency exchange office mm. who probably want just some sort of shared currencies or just an easier way to get around. Um, you've got a possible war or wars. You've got a possible recession. And so I guess you take all this stuff together and it's like, if there is a economic recession globally, um, does Bitcoin go up because people flee to it? Or does it go down because it's a risk-on asset, like an angel investment, and uh, and people are just trying to get the hell out? And they want to hoard, and they want to hoard dollars at that point, hoard cash. Yeah, yeah. So, I think uh, my thesis is, is really, really simple. It's basically like if you take all the big macro trends in the world, um, there's a there's just so much evidence for why people would want a store of value that yeah. is decentralized and deflationary and deflationary limited in supply like land except it's shrinking because people lose one every day you know people lose bitcoin every day um and so a we're in a, an 11 year bull run for bitcoin there's never been a period of more than i think 13 months of negative returns so we're in a huge bull run i think just keeps going I think we see all-time high prices this year. Hmm. But then at the same time, I believe that Bitcoin is still a risk-on asset. And if hmm. there's a serious uh, stock market crash, where we pro like the data that we do have is that it's going to drop. Because hmm. the only data we have is these micro stock market drops when Bitcoin immediately correlates and drops. And so I, if there's a recession, I think it drops. And then my last bit of my thesis is that, say there's a big stock market crash, there's this, there's an outside probability that people are like, oh, damn. Um, and they start actually rushing into Bitcoin and actually blow it up because people see it as a kind of an escape from the existing system. So okay. that's that's my yeah. Bitcoin thesis in a nutshell. That was really well said. I That was really well said. I think on the third point... Um, it To me, the, the litmus test is going to be if Bitcoin acts more like gold or acts more like a risk-on asset when there is a crash. Because if it acts more like gold and people move into it as a store of value, um, I would consider that to be incredibly bullish for it. If it doesn't happen, as you're talking about, 
then, or as, as potentially doesn't happen, then I think to me, from a political or socio socioeconomic perspective, it makes it less attractive because part of the reason to hold it is as a hedge against um, fiat problems and global recession and these sort of things. So myself as like a young person yeah. who really enjoys this stuff yeah. naturally yeah, feels that way. Like I, I think that in the 70s and 80s, people fled to gold. It was like a generational thing because of what was happening in the US, with the US dollar. Um, I think our generation probably is going to flee to this stuff and, and move, move to it. I think if, if I were to have to stand up and speak to like a room full of people who you know, have, have hundreds of millions of dollars and I was, you know, they were making was, a prediction. Yeah. And they were asking me how much of their net worth should they put into this stuff? I would probably say, you know, the, the data we have is that it correlates during these micro drops in the stock market. And therefore, and we have no data showing what happens in a recession. So if you're, if you're taking a data driven approach, you have to say it's a risk on asset. If there's a recession, it's going to drop. But if you were just like, Tom, you're playing with, with just your own money and, and you can do whatever you want, like what would you do? It's like, well, I would, I would much more feel that my, my gut sense is that our generation is going to see a lot of the chaos in the world and, and be like, you know what? I just really like this stuff, A, and, and B, I'm a little scared of the existing system and I'm, I'm going to move into it. So Interesting. Yeah. And so in the, the, the second scenario that you described over there, in what, what percentage would be the allocation to crypto and in the first what's the allocation to crypto is it that's a good question yeah so uh, i have uh i've got these three great slides that i just did like a ton of research on um how you answer that question so the question is you have a you have a portfolio mm -hmm. um make it simple hundred dollars a hundred bucks yep how much of it do you put into to let's just say bitcoin yeah uh you can talk about different crypto assets but let's just say um bitcoin so uh i think the question is do you buy it first first and foremost yeah do you buy it and i think the answer is uh the way you answer that is it's been the best performing asset of any asset of the last 10 years hmm. and it is in a it's in a sustained long-term bull run with a lot of volatility uh you know for generational reasons for uh, currency crisis reasons, like all the stuff, the macro stuff we talked about, it's, it seems like a good thing to buy. It's scarce. So I think the answer to that is, is yeah, you should probably have some. Uh, when do you buy? How much do you buy? And when do you sell? So when do you buy? I think uh, doesn't really matter. Like if you look at the return graph of the last decade, it's like you should have just bought the day that you concluded that you should have bought. <laughs> and, and, and effectively, every time you had extra cash, dollar cost averaged into it? Yeah, yeah, dollar cost averaging is is, is a great principle, and yeah, why not do that? Um, but even if you just, you know, didn't want to mess around, just put all your money in it tomorrow, and then just, like, forgot about it for the next five years, I still think that's uh, better than trying to wait for some bottom. Um, so, do you buy... When do you buy? How much do you buy? I think was more your question. Yeah, the percentage. Yeah. yeah. Um, we looked at, so I wish I had this graph in front of me. We broke down what happens to like your typical portfolio. You know, like the all the idea of the all-weather portfolio. Mm. So if Explain you look at, it to me. All-weather portfolio is like, um, you know, 
I think Tony Robbins probably brought this to the masses. It was like, if you look at the best asset managers in the world, they um, several of them have tried to build portfolios that do well in good times and bad times, hence all weather. And so uh, it's basically a portfolio that performs in good and bad times. So if you, we looked at if you add Bitcoin to a typical all weather portfolio, what does it do over the last one year, three years, and five years? And um, we just looked uh, at a 1% allocation of your assets, 3% and a 5%. Under all of those conditions, it improves um, your absolute returns. So I guess what I would say is like on a personal level, I've got way more than 5% of my money in Bitcoin. As do I. On a, <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I was going to ask you that question. Um, on a fund level, I would just say like I, I would feel totally comfortable um, pushing data across the desk and being like, "Look, the data says you should probably allocate five percent." Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so then, how does Protos fit into that? As far as the if somebody says I'm going to take five percent of my liquid net worth and put it into crypto, and they come to you. What is it that Protos does that is the special sauce, or what's the what's the value add? Why would somebody do that? So Protos is for people who want to hold a long position in the top ten crypto assets. Let's just say again Bitcoin, because we we just weight them by risk, and so we hold. Uh, let's just say Protos is for people who want to hold a long term position in Bitcoin, along uh, with Ethereum and. I don't know what the other yeah. eight or nine would be, but yeah, we just we we take the top ten and we uh, weight them by risk, which for us is just a, a calc like you know st standard calculation using stuff like volatility, mainly okay. volatility. Okay. Um, most of our allocation is to Bitcoin, and we run s like fully systematic quant strategies to uh, protect in the event of downturns without missing the upturns. And so the reason people come to us is, um, you know, we're, we're a Swiss fund, which is, we're regulated, fully transparent. Our strategies aren't some black box quant strategy. It's just the really, it's classical trend following. And you told me before we started the recording that you actually publish the trades that you're making the same week. Yeah. You can go to protusmanagement.com, sign up for the newsletter, and we will send you the trades that we run each week. Um, we believe in basically, you know, there, there are different people in the world that could build uh, a trend-following system. So trend-following means catch the runs, move out during the drops. Yeah. When you're out, use the cash to generate yield through lending, whatever, some sort of safe yield. Um, there's a lot of people who could build those systems. I guess what's different about us is we've actually built those systems and we've run them with our own money and with other people's money for two and a half years and um, consistently outperformed the market for the entire time. And how, so when you say trend following, the trend is driven by technical analysis. It's driven by what's, what actually um, indicates to you that uh, it's trend on for Bitcoin or trend off, let's say. It's basically, we've built a, a data environment that um, essentially shows us volatility uh, on price okay. and the rate of change in price. Okay. And so I guess, okay, maybe black box is the lie. Anyway, the... <laughs> the but I understand that. That makes sense. It's like, as the volatility goes up, you guys are looking at that and saying, this looks like it's trending down, effectively? Yeah, the big, the big thing with the trend following system is um, 
and you know we can go back more into my background i do come from more of a venture background than i do uh, quant background and my two partners are the quants but essentially with trend following it's like um do you trust the price data you have then if you do uh, what's happening to the price data is it changing um quickly okay. and and from that you make a decision uh how much are we in the market 60 percent of our money 70 percent um, and how are we weighting the assets that we hold? So, for example, uh, we mostly weight our assets by volatility as a, a bit of a formula to basically compute risk. So you put that all together into a system, and it basically just gives us a signal and says, you know, today is a 6.3 out of 10 uh, long position in, in your top 10 assets, and this is the weighting. And the system responds and moves money into and out to, of the market and weights the different assets accordingly. A big thing that we've learned is, um, okay, cool, that's all fine, uh, but how frequently do you trade? And that's and there's a there's a there's a risk associated with each trade you make. You know, as you're making a trade, does your exchange get hacked? And cost. And there's a cost, and so you put all that stuff together, and you um, you run it for a long period of time, and you optimize it, and you reach conclusions about like this is a system that is going to have give you a long-term position in Bitcoin, but you're going to move out and avoid the big drops. You're going to use that cash to earn yield while you're out of the market, and you're going to not miss out on the runs. Sounds amazing. It's cool. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a hell of a lot of work to set up, but it's it's it feels really good to have it. Yeah. And so when you and I were talking prior to the show, you mentioned how this how Protos actually works with people. So they they have they have an account at an exchange and then you guys remotely manage it is that how it works so we've got three products we the first fund we did at protos was actually the f um the first or one of the the first fully legal tokenized hedge funds which just means you know we offered a security token so it was deliberately a security people could buy it with a one dollar minimum it in 97 countries raised something like $7 million US in a couple couple months. That was our first fund. In 2017, right? Late late 2017, yeah. Yeah. We actually raised our first fund a week, uh, closed it like a week after the peak Bitcoin price. So it was about the worst possible time you could raise a hedge fund. <laughs> and then... Uh, sometimes you're the bug, sometimes you're the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> windshield. Windshield. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then there was a huge, then there was a ninety percent drawdown in in the assets in in the price of Bitcoin, uh, which is like one percent greater than the dot com crash. A ninety percent draw. So from the peak, Bitcoin peaked at seventeen or nineteen thousand. Nineteen thousand seven hundred something U.S. dollars, and then it and then it bottomed around two thousand something. Yeah. Okay. And so that that from from peak to trough, that's roughly a ninety percent drop. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, we had just raised this fund. There, the market was just, you know, pretty devastated. Like, I don't know. Some imploding. Yeah. You, you know, you've been through, um, doc, the, I'm sure you were through the dot-com bust and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I was, I was, I held, I held Bitcoin as it collapsed. I mean, I was watching yeah. this happen. Yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we're survivors. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we took a bit of a pause and we said like, do we, you know, we've set up this, this new asset management firm in Switzerland at great personal expense to manage other people's money because we believe we can do a good job of that and, and to also just have a way of, of trading our own money. And um, 
my, we basically took a decision to not start a new fund during the, the depth of the crypto winter. And um, we tested all these systems and they, they, we built all these systems and they were really working. And so we uh, about nine months ago concluded we would do a second fund. And so we set up two, two products in the last nine months. One is a traditional hedge fund, like for high net worth individuals, uh, large holders of crypto. And the other is a, something that we're going to announce pretty soon publicly, but um, it allows us to apply our system to people who have crypto in their own wallets. So mm. they give us API access and our strategy trades their crypto within their account. So that can, that can be applied to uh, almost anybody. And, and so just for people who aren't familiar with that, so with the first, the first fund effectively was if I had crypto, uh, I would hand it to you all and then you all manage it at under a traditional hedge fund structure. So that's 2% of uh, assets under management and 20% of the returns per yep. year, right? Mm-hmm. In the second scenario, it is I open up an account at a particular exchange that you tell me you have API access to. Let's say, let's say it's Binance. I, I move my crypto into that account that I have at Binance and you guys programmatically via the, via an API trade on my behalf. Is that right? Yeah. So in the, in the second scenario, you can... Uh... There's a there's about 25 different exchanges and custodians, like for example Kraken, Binance, where you just move the amount of crypto you want us to trade for you in our system into that account, into that particular wallet, and you give us uh, access to the API. We put the API into our trading system, and then whenever our system makes a trade, it applies it to your crypto. Hmm. So yeah, that's pretty interesting. And so and then with the the second type you all are actively managed like you're actively promoting this or this has been sort of a, a test vehicle and now you want to do a third fund that is totally different in structure you were talking about this prior to the call part of the podcast what what's the difference in the third thing that you want to do or you want to yeah explain please i, I might have misunderstood we want to be running a really, really excellent trading system, and we want it to be available to whoever wants it. And so, part and, and part of the blocker there has been that it's a taxable event if people. Yeah, there's there's kind of two things. I guess um, one is you know hedge funds are typically only available to accredited investors, and in some cases even super accredited investors, and so. Um, we have a traditional hedge fund. You know, you do have to be an accredited investor to put money into that. This third product is uh, similar to our first product. The goal with the first product was to democratize access to professional crypto management. You know, we we kind of like I, I spent some years in crypto. Twenty, um, I really got into it actively in 2013. Yeah, and it was beautiful. The culture was beautiful. People were in it for, in my opinion you know, good reasons more yeah. beyond making money. Yeah. People were trying to change the system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, it got pretty ugly in late 2016 and into 2017. And a lot of people came in and there's a lot of dishonesty and cash grabbing and, uh, scams. It, there was a lot of, yeah. A scams, which, yeah, I just personally don't, not really into. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> not, not for me. Uh, yeah, I just didn't really, I just, it, I didn't really, it, it kind of made me sad, I guess, in mm. the sense that like, I loved the spirit of the market before that and all these scans came in. And so part of the motivation to do a tokenized hedge fund was that uh, we saw 
the first tokenized venture capital fund done by these guys we really um, admire, Blockchain Capital, uh, one of the best venture funds, they did the first tokenized uh, VC fund. And we basically just did something very similar a few months after they launched that to allow people to you know, place money with us into a legal structure and we were going to you know, trade it and invest it for them uh, hmm. as a bit of an antidote to the madness that was going down. Um, you were trying to be the good guys. We were trying to just give, give what we knew to a bunch of people. Um, and with this new product, similar, similar ethos, a lot of people hold crypto. You know, our system works. It's proven for two and a half, two and whatever years. Yeah. Um, through a very tough time for crypto as well. Through a super tough time yeah. with, you know, Swiss regulations, blah, blah, blah. So now can we, can we give anybody who wants that system access is, uh, is part of the mission on the third product. And with specifically with that third product, part of part of that that I found really interesting is you guys are effectively talking and targeting people who they bought Bitcoin, um, whatever time they bought it. But let's there's a lot of there's a lot of folks who bought it early on 2013, 2012, 2011, um, and are hodlers. They've just held on to it, but they're not doing they're effectively not doing anything with it. They're they've got it in cold storage. I remember actually being at your house in Vancouver, and I think you had uh, private keys written on pieces of paper at mm-hmm. one point, and standing, <laughs> like you showing me the private keys that you had written Why on pieces of paper. Why was I showing paper. you my private keys? Uh, you, <laughs> I think you weren't. You were showing me the concept of private keys of how you oh, actually okay. should protect this stuff. Yeah, okay. and uh, you weren't showing me your private keys. Number, <laughs> and I wouldn't remember a sixteen-string digit, whatever it is, off the top of my head. Anyways, anyways, point being that um, you've got this large group of people who. Uh, they had bought Bitcoin early on. They they rode it way up in 2017. They've ridden it way back down post then. They've continued to hold it. They're not really doing anything with it. And they there are some ancillary uh, financial services that have popped up around trying to help people earn interest, whether it's Celsius or just lending it on um, I don't know some of the some of the different crypto lending platforms. Uh, but the there hasn't been um that's kind of amateurish in a way that's still it's almost like treating it like a savings account if you're going to put your money if you're going to take your crypto and put it into into celsius let's say is that a fair assessment yeah well i mean, there's a there's a couple things i think one is like a 90 percent drop in something isn't you know it's not really necessary like <laughs> you could like you we could have all written that up and we could have been, um, we could have applied, like we could have started taking gains as it was getting crazy, and, and you know, put your money, put your money into an asset that wasn't going to drop ninety percent, or after it dropped thirty percent, maybe take your money out. The challenge is, how do you know when to get in or out? So I think uh, holding is better than not holding, and and people should be long Bitcoin. Um, there are now systems like ours and others that you can give some of your crypto to, and it could just be managed for you. And those systems are proven to avoid the major drops and without missing out on the long-term runs so it's like we're at this point now in crypto where you, where you just don't have to suffer those suffer the pain of the volatility and basically hold and hold the the one coin through hell or high water up or down yeah which you know i'm super into and i really think that you know if you don't have the time to research active management or some of these services like ours just you know still get your crypto and put it somewhere really safe offline mm-hmm. um 
But you don't, you know, if you want, if you have some crypto and you want it managed in a system that's transparent and proven, that's that's now available. But it's just become available like in the last couple, last, you know, year and a bit, I would say. Mm. Other than some of the crypto funds which you could put money with, but most of them are venture funds. So and most of the quant funds haven't, you know, haven't done super well. So that's an interesting distinction and segue there. So the, the a crypto venture fund is effectively someone raises cash and then they're putting money into teams or what are they what, what what's what is a crypto venture fund putting money into and then what a quant fund what are they doing they're basically trading amongst altcoins crypto well what what what's the difference between the two yeah that's a good question let me let me circle back to that really quickly so okay. the one one other point i wanted to make on the uh like I guess the question is kind of like, okay, you have some crypto. What should you be doing with it? Yeah, I don't. I think you, you know, you've taken, ne- you've taken step one. You've bought Bitcoin. You yeah. got it. Then what do you do with it? It's almost like if you buy gold, what do you do with it? You bury it in your backyard. Yeah. In one sense, you know, if you're not going to trade it, what are you supposed to do with it? If you're not going to use it for like as a mon- as a, a means of transacting on a day to day basis to buy um, cookies at Seven Eleven or whatnot, yeah, what are you supposed to do with it? Yeah, and I think I think now there's just there's services available where rather than sitting at home and buying, you know, 30 different stocks and trying to rebalance them every day and, and things like that, like we did before ETFs. Now there's kind of ETF-like services. There's stuff like ours where, where it's, you know, a quant system and there's there's index products that you can buy, hmm. uh, so which is just, is just going to allow you to still be in the market, but just avoid these, uh, avoid the, the, the huge drawdowns. Hmm. The other point is, do you really want a bunch of gold to your house? I don't want a bunch of gold in my house. And I should have opened the podcast with this. Like I don't have a bunch of Bitcoin sitting under my mattress. Yeah. My so, Bitcoin is um, in our fund or, or I've liquidated you know, a lot of it and, and diversified um, so that I can live. So yeah, I mean, I, so I don't come to Tom's house. Well, like, honestly, that was something that gave me a lot of stress, yeah. especially, you know, 2017, you're seeing, you're seeing uh, your wealth grow every day. Good feeling. But then like the corresponding thought is, oh shit, like at what point do I need a gun? <laughs> like, you, yeah. so I, I don't want a bunch of gold uh, under my mattress. And I don't think many people do. Mm. So that's the other reason to think about getting your, getting your crypto somewhere else. Um, there's people who really want to hold on to their crypto, which I understand, you know, governments, the world maybe gets crazy. Like it'd be nice to have some money you can use. There's people that, have, that I know in crypto that have like disappeared and sort of set up addresses where people aren't aware of where they're at. It's just not for me. Uh, yeah, there was, I mean, I was at a conference in 2017 and there was a guy who stood on stage and announced that he had half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, and I think his name was York. I, I could find it in the, the conference notes. But the fact that he stood up there and announced he had half a billion dollars in crypto there didn't seem to be any security around him. Hmm. Uh, I thought it was such a foolish move of putting a target onto his back because he's in a third. Indonesia is still a third world country. It's not impossible for somebody to kidnap uh, someone here and to be held ransom. I don't know where he's got his crypto held at, whether it's in private keys, whatnot. But to say in a place where you could be taken. And effectively disappeared, like what you're talking about, just seems like a, a really, a very risky move to make for very little reward. That's uh, that, that that was my takeaway when I heard him say that. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh, yeah. If there's a gun to your head, you'll find your private keys pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, th- I think that's a huge reason to to consider like you want exposure to crypto, like you know, get it in a way that isn't gonna. Uh, 
put you at risk. The what was your other question? Well, it was it was it was about these crypto uh, venture funds and the crypto quant funds, and then like like Protos as far as the crypto hedge fund goes, the three what what they each do in the ecosystem. It's a, this question I think has uh, has forced really forced. I think there's, there's there's three things that have changed, or there's two things that have changed. One is, uh, you know, in 2017, I can't remember the time period, but it's sort of the exact time period. But basically, there was you know billions of dollars raised into these ICOs. This was unaccredited, largely unaccredited investors buying these tokens, which have mostly been deemed to be illegal, but it outstripped venture capital for a period of time, and so. Um, Investing in ICOs is that venture capital? Hmm. So that's that's changed. The other thing is, um, are crypto assets venture assets? And so if you're holding Ethereum, it's an it's a kind of like a share in a company that hasn't quite yet grown up. Like there's all these applications that are proposed to be built on it, but right now you can't do a whole lot with it. You can do some really really important cool stuff, um, but you. Can, you probably argue that Ethereum is a venture capital asset. So a fund holding Ethereum is therefore a venture fund, hmm. but the asset's liquid. So is it now a liquid venture fund? So I think- the- Because typically in a venture fund, it's not liquid. It's like you give the money to the LPs, it's locked up for a period of time, and you might get the funds back after the after the fund is effectively liquidated. Is that right? Yeah. Like typical venture fund, you give money to, it's locked up for seven to 10 years. They buy stock in a corporation. Mm. Corporation sells or IPOs and, and you get a return. Typical hedge fund, um, you give money to, usually there's like, uh, let's say a year lockup and then you've got like uh, three on months. That, on re- that first year. Yeah, so yeah. you're locked up for a year. Or in some cases you're not locked up at all. And there's just a, there's a redemption period of where you make a request and maybe two months later they give you your money. They just need a bit of time to rebalance their portfolio to get cash out. So hedge funds are typically a bit more liquid. I think with crypto, most of the money has gone into what you'd call venture funds. These are funds that do have lockup periods for a period of time, two plus years, and they are investing in early speculative assets. I.e. coins or teams that are building... Both. Yeah, okay. And typically, like a lot of those funds will hold positions in Bitcoin and Ethereum. So they're kind of, I think a crypto, your, your average crypto fund is like a shorter lockup than a venture fund is mostly investing in uh, newer, riskier stuff, but also holds a position in some of these major assets. Hmm. And then, so I would contrast that with a crypto hedge fund um, or let's say a crypto quant fund like Protos. And we actually have done some, you know, done, I've done a, done a lot of venture. We can talk about that if we want, but with Protos, where I mean, we're... Um, much more liquid than that. Like our the longest lockup period we have is is a year. The new product for people who hold crypto, the more consumer focused product that that I can't probably speak about because of legal reasons very much, but <laughs> we'll announce pretty soon. <laughs> is um uh, no lockup whatsoever. You want to give you want your money back? Just take it out of the system. Boom, done. And then the, the other difference is that we're uh, we're systematically trading the assets. We're not making discretionary choices about oh we think this one has a good CTO and so we're going to invest in that. Yeah. We are using uh, basically price and volatility data to make our trading decisions, and we're only in the top ten assets. Okay. Interesting. So then that 
It's pretty dry, actually. It's well, the, really the, dry. But. Yeah, no, no. The, I mean, the last part's interesting because it's also it's reducing, um, uh, like the stock picker's dilemma in a say in a way. It's not uh, um, if it's in the top ten, it's in the top ten, and if the formula says go, then go, and if the formula says re- you know stop or red, then you don't go, or vice versa. Um, so, so then if you have this group of people who let's just say like I'm, I'm in the camp of where I like following some of what's happening in crypto and I kind of want to move money depending on uh, a project or a development that I think is bullish or bearish. Um, You all are like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not well suited to, 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 to working with Protos or at least putting like all of that I have in crypto into Protos but you guys are, are you doing anything where you're publishing um, thought leadership stuff to, to well, sort of explain? That was that, insane. That was a bird that just that ran into the uh, office. With a bird which <laughs> flew into the window, but it is standing up, looking around, and looks not dead. Oh. Matt, I haven't seen that in a while. Hmm. Yeah, it's walking away. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 th- this is a long way of segue. Uh, uh, this is a long way of segueing into my question, which is that for for people who are following uh, folks in the crypto space, who who do you follow, or who is it that um, mm, that you think is n- let's say not talking their own book mm. um, and is actually giving seemingly objective advice right and because that that's one of the critiques if you watch um who is the fella it's not nasem talib it's the uh um, rubini the dr doom professor from uh nyu oh yeah um he's a big critique or he his critique of crypto is that generally everyone in the space is talking their own book and that they're not objective about it mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so you've been on both sides you came you, you were not in crypto. You went heavy into it. You saw the losses. Um, and I think you understand the concept of like, you're trying to be fairly objective and also um, you still need to raise money, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, because you have, a, you have this, uh, this asset, these coins that you can, people can sell and raise money and then they can use that money for stuff. You have liquid assets. So there's this quick, you get rich quick. It's a gambling phenomenon almost in a way. Yeah. Gambling, uh, you know, lie a little bit to raise some money and then, you know, make yourself wealthy, deal with the guilt about doing it later. There's there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. For me, um, I don't feel good about stretching the truth yeah, I mean, we, we have an asset management company. We are, you know, we're growing. People are giving us their money and we're trading it for them. And so we have, we serve those people. Um, I don't feel good about myself if I stretch the truth in any way in terms of how to like share what we're doing. Like even the amount of sharing I'm doing with you makes me like mildly uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah, just just in that, if I, if people are going to give me money, I want it to be uh, for something that I, that I really believe in, have some of my own money in. Yeah. Um, and, and you sure. take your fiduciary responsibility seriously. Yeah. Yeah. For me, what the, you know, as, as probably for you, like it's just in terms of, you know, life's super short. I want to spend time uh, serving people who I like 
doing something that I think uh, is interesting and matters. And I think crypto matters because we need a new financial system. We need a new way of collaborating. There's a whole bunch of other reasons why I'm into it. Um, I want cool clients who believe in crypto to give us their money. I want to share with them transparently what we're up to. Um, we totally screw up and lose your money. I want to, you know, disband the fun and leave and, and say we're sorry. So, <laughs> in terms of people I follow, yeah, that was a good. That was a good explanation. But yeah, who do you follow in the space that you you think is doing a good job of um, educating people without, um, let's say, that th that is at least nominally um, objective in their. Uh, approach to crypto. I think there's is really different people you follow if you're looking at sort of like quant trading, like trading crypto, versus uh, finding early stage tokens to invest in. Hmm. And um, I I don't do a lot of speculating on early stage tokens at this point. I kind of wrap that up, you know, year and a half ago. Here and there, you know, invest in some small things. Um, I think is that because you you the the early stage tokens you think is a broken model, like the ICO model's broken, or because you you got burned and decided it just the risk the risk profile was something that you weren't comfortable with? For me, I mean, I made about 30, 37 early stage investments. You yeah. know, Ethereum, ICO to, I think, you know, the most recent one was uh, buying, you know, buying some, like make, sort of going big into maker, as early as I could, and uh, eh, I just think leading. You know, I don't enjoy venture capital all that much in in the crypto space. I think there's enough enough money. Um, what I think is more important to me now is actually bringing crypto to a lot more people and making sure that the people who are into crypto uh, do well and and actually become rich. I think mm. that's that's something that matters to me because um, it's a set of values you want to see spread. In set a way. of values I want to see spread. It's a yeah. system I want to see spread. Yeah. Um, I'd personally rather see Bitcoin go global than I would um, support, you know, the, probably, you know, 100 startups below it. Um, yeah, and, and partly also, I just, I really, uh, I think that in order to get a bunch of cash into the, into crypto, um, We've got to prove that people can participate in a way that is safe, as well. So, mm. didn't really answer your question. I think that if I was, if somebody's going to ask me who to look at in terms of venture, um, I think you did answer the question in the sense that you are advocating for not necessarily participating in venture. So maybe there's not someone to necessarily follow because it's not something you recommend people doing. I think I would say if you're if you're interested in uh new crypto technology and like new startups and stuff like that which you know i totally am i just right now i'm a little bit more interested in in getting uh large amounts of money into the major ones like bitcoin mm -hmm. ethereum but if you're really into that thing and if yeah uh, like i think there's a ton of money to be made i think DeFi is where it's at for the next few months and i would say um you know right like my answer to the way i find deal flow is by just you know connecting with my network people that I've, that I've known in the space and trusted and I know are making good decisions. Um, but I would follow the top, uh, crypto venture funds and mm. just, and read the stuff they're put, they're publishing because they usually publish what they've invested in pretty soon after they've invested. And I, you know, I think 
material beats method. You could read, you know, you could listen to a thousand crypto podcasts and hear about every new and shiny new deal. But I would just say like uh, the people who've proven themselves to pick good deals are probably going to continue to do so. Uh, that does change when there's a paradigm shift. And they've put their money into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not theoretical at that point. Um, I think that the younger guys in the crypto venture game are actually going to come out on top. I think that it's such a paradigm shift that uh, I don't think it, uh, this maybe is unpopular opinion, but I, I don't think the A16Zs of the world are going to find the next biggest crypto projects. I think it's, mm. uh, I have a little bit more trust in like uh, younger internet native type of people. Mm. Uh, in the quant game, we publish our trades each week. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter and we'll literally show you how we're waiting our waiting our trades. Uh, the system has outperformed the market by, you know, percentage that I can't say because of legal restrictions, but <laughs> you know, it's done well. Yeah. And you can see who's, who's given us their crypto to trade for them. And uh, yeah. So last, la last thing, and then we'll wrap up is you're getting ready to go to Switzerland from here. Switzerland is one of the countries that's been quite proactive in the crypto space um there's one city you will know the name of it that's that's Zug. like yes thank you zook uh, switzerland so i want to know if you've been there i also want to know if you've been to malta which is now billing itself as this sort of blockchain island um uh Curaçao, i don't know there's there's several that have popped up as sort of being very crypto friendly what's happening at the um at the jurisdictional level uh at uh as countries kind of compete for some of the um, the talent and the money that's going into this. Yeah. Um, what, from what perspective? Like, what are you interested in? Yeah. I'm interested in seeing that in the same way that you would look at like a Liechtenstein or a Luxembourg, which became very wealthy for embracing certain like tax schemes or, uh, embracing certain ways of doing business. I get the sense that some countries like Malta are looking at crypto as this next opportunity to harness the energy and the talent that's going into it. And that that's, to me, it's exciting. Number one, I think probably for the same reason that crypto is exciting, which is that it's a chance to break the existing power structure. So it's a chance, like the Bitcoin is effectively a chance to break the existing fiat power structure. Um, and the same way that these countries are optimizing for um, mm, like making themselves crypto friendly or whatnot, that's that you could argue that they're doing it to to kind of differentiate themselves in a world where maybe certain countries, let's say the U.S. decides that they don't want to be so or the EU, which is um, taking sort of an anti crypto stance. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. I mean, Switzerland is, so I, I did uh, co-found what became the first licensed uh, asset management company for crypto in Canada. So we went through the process of basically trying to create a crypto asset manager in Canada, uh, get licensed uh, to manage Bitcoin, we, and we achieved it. Um, ultimately co-founded it with, with uh, people that didn't work for me, but it was extremely hard even to get licensed to manage Bitcoin. And um, as a Canadian resident, like I had to make a tough decision. It's like, I want to work in this industry. It's really difficult to do it in Canada because it just seems like 
the regulators just uh, dislike it or yeah. they believe it's a threat to their system or whatever. Yeah, it's a no. It's a no that you're trying to get to a yes. Yeah. Um, so as a Canadian, it's tough, like because you, you, I can't, uh, you know, I, I'm not a resident of Switzerland, but um, so to be a part of a fund there, I'm actually pretty restricted in, in what activities I can do for the fund. I have to limit what I can do, and I have to have we have to have the majority of our team in Switzerland, but I still am so happy that I, uh, you know, helped to start a business that's there. And it's hard to walk around the streets of Zug without seeing a bunch of people I know, hmm. which is really interesting. Hmm. Uh, and so as a number of Americans that have, that have left, like old, you know, people in their forties with kids that have uprooted and moved to, to Zug hmm. to be amongst their crypto peers in a place where they can experiment with this stuff in a way that's legal and transparent and non scammy, but just, uh, and they feel supported. supported. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, I mean, I think they, they feel supported. There's one, um, place that comes to mind, which is Puerto Rico in the States, which has turned into a bit of a crypto island for Americans because of tax reasons. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say that the Puerto Rican government is necessarily pro-crypto or anti-crypto. It's just, a, it's more of a function of people who've made money in crypto. And so they've moved there for, um, for tax reasons. Yeah. But you have this community that has sort of popped up around the um, around the coin or around around blockchain, whatever it is, that's quite interesting. It's like almost like a shared set of ethos mm -hmm. that was, I think, appealing for both of us when 2012, 2013, when we were both getting into it. It's like, this is a way, you know, I don't think that budget deficits are a good idea. I don't think that the fact that like I have to report um, every time I cross a border with $10,000 or whatever it is, right? Like this, um, uh, that the war on cash or the fact that the federal reserve can, can manipulate interest rates to benefit the bankers and these sort of things. So anyways, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I would love to go to Zug. Yeah. I would say like fast summary is Zug is a place where like Swiss law is legit. It's, it's really costly to be regulated there. People who are doing stuff in crypto in Switzerland uh, are doing it in a, in a really credible way. Hmm. And there's, there's a hell of a lot of talent there. It's hmm. awesome. I love it. Um, it's expensive, but I love it. What is it? It's this little town. What, what? Zug is a canton, okay. which is like a province or a state. And each of the, these cantons in Switzerland has uh, slightly different laws. The reason everyone goes to Zug is basically because it's you know near zero tax or zero tax. And uh, otherwise, financial regulations are pretty much the same. And um, yeah, but it's just lower tax. And it's 20 minutes something by train from Zurich. And so you could live in Zurich, have your business in Zug, commute, commute and save, save on tax. And there's, there, isn't there some regulatory agency set up there from crypto or there's some yeah, lobbying well, body or something? I don't know. Anyways, crypto Valley maybe is what you're thinking about. Yeah. It's more, that's more like a, a branding effort on behalf yeah. of the uh, chamber of commerce. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, I interrupted you. Yeah. They're trying to make it like the, you know, what's his name? Uh, YC founder, Paul Graham talks about how, he wrote a great essay one time about there's certain areas in the world that became these startup hubs and it was it was cultural. Like there was, there was something special there. I think having read what he believes is kind of the, the fundamentals for the birth of a new industry, uh, I do think that, that Zug has those fundamentals. I think mm. that's what people are starting to see. Mm. Puerto Rico, I'm not sure. I haven't been. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't attract me. I just didn't, I didn't uh, have a lot of personal interest. And I was also just too busy trying to figure out Switzerland, to be honest. Uh, Malta, I have not checked out as well. I, I can't. I shouldn't give an opinion. I haven't been. To me, it just didn't quite smell right. Okay. Just didn't. 
I just, I don't know, maybe as a Canadian or maybe as, I don't know. I just, I really liked the, the idea of, of Switzerland, given yeah. its history and it just felt right, smelled right. The U.S., I think it's going to be pretty, pretty difficult. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's the innovation capital of the world. Asia is a whole nother story. So that's a conversation for a, a book, but crypto in Asia is uh, going off as well. Um, in Korea and Japan, where are we talking? Japan is amazing, and Japan's regulators seem logical about how they're approaching it. Huh. They like I think they, I think the big question is, does uh, the, do the people running a country think that crypto will threaten or take down their existing power systems? And if so, they're going to be really combative, and that's what's happening in the U.S. and Canada. Or do they think systems evolve and it's cool and we'll keep up with it? And um, and Switzerland's like, well, we've always evolved, and we, we've permitted our system is one that evolves. Whereas I think the U.S. is, is taking the opposite stance. Japan seems to be somewhere in the middle. Um, and what about in China? What's going on? Do you know? I know a little bit just because I helped to start a crypto mining company that uh, had rigs in China. We order a lot of machines from China. Okay. Right. I didn't help to start. I was a founding advisor too. A company called Argo, which is a like a publicly listed mining company that buys a bunch of these machines from from China. Um, uh, they, uh, man, it, it's hard to say. They okay. seem to change their opinion all the time. Okay. I think ultimately they're going to try to uh, create their own national digital asset. They're going to try to control and um, I think they're going to back crypto, but they're going to just try to really control it. At least what goes on in their country. Yeah, because they're seeing. I mean, especially where you live in Vancouver, you've seen the influx of uh, capital from China where the Chinese are quite, mm, they would like to keep as much money as they can inside the country. And yeah. the pressure to get money out of China and get it into a place like real estate in Vancouver is is real. It's a serious phenomenon. And so if crypto enables people to get money out and do it in a scalable way, the Chinese government is not going to tolerate it for for a very for, they're going to tolerate it up to a point effectively yeah they seem to be trying to like uh use it uh it feels like they're trying to get their heads around it which i think they have their heads around it i think they're going to try to actually i think they see it as the future they know it's the future they're going to jump to it and they're going to try to use it as as just one more tool to have leverage over other countries and i think and leverage I, over their citizens uh yeah if they know what their citizens are doing with their money that's good and I think that I think if the U.S. doesn't pay attention to that, that's, that's a really bad thing. Hmm. Escaping capital controls is is one of the big macro drivers for why you should why I want to hold Bitcoin for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you're in Argentina, you're in Venezuela, these places that are suffering from hyperinflation. Um, okay, so let's wrap there, Tom. If people want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow um, what you're up to online, or if they want to learn more about your fund, where would they go? Protos, P-R-O-T-O-S management.com bingo okay and they are you on twitter are you on any kind of social media not really okay cool so yeah. check him out at uh protos management his full bio is at protosmanagement.com forward slash tom kinashenko there's a dash between tom and kinashenko and his last name is spelled k-i-n-e-s-h-a-n-k-o oh <laughs> yep cool thanks tom yeah man. thank you Hi again, folks. If you enjoyed that show, would you please go leave a review in iTunes or whichever platform you're listening to this podcast on? That would help us immensely. 
Also, tell your friends, tell your family. If you didn't like the show, if you got feedback about it, please send an email to podcast at spreadgreatideas.com. Would love to hear from you. Again, if you liked it, please help us out by spreading the word. If you didn't like it, let us know what we can do to improve it. Thanks a lot and see you on the next one.